0: Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. So just like the barber asks me, I think I've asked you the question, why are you here this morning? What can God's word do for you? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 to 10. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils you notice it doesn't say it's the it only leads to greed it leads to all other kinds of evils and sins it is through this craving craving is another word for desire it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Because of the love of money, some people in the church have compromised on their spiritual faith. My question to you this morning and next Sunday is going to be, are you one of them? And I'll give you examples with questions I've asked myself. So this morning, as a starter, I'm going to ask you the question, which is the theme for this morning, has the American dream led us to an extreme that brought us into the whole area of greed. Now, the American dream, actually, I'm a benefactor of that because I'm an immigrant, came into this country about 25 years ago uh, with just about $400. What a great country. So the American dream, in its good proportion, I believe in. But the American dream actually talks about the pursuit of happiness. It actually advocates prosperity. And the underlying tone of the American dream is, if you work hard, you can actually make a lot of money. If you work a little harder, you can make more money. And one of the questions I'm going to ask you and I over the next two days is, How much is enough? And how do you know how much is enough? Greed, as we go through these sins, in fact, last Sunday I told you, lust is one of the most destructive sins. It's the secret sin in the church. Let's not talk about the world. Forget about the world. They expect it to be sinful. We in the church are not expected to be sinful. Uh, Lust, especially in the area of pornography is a sin that is rampant among believers. And I told some of you, be careful as parents. Children by the age of eight have already seen porn in some form. It affects marriages. It affects families. It destroys your mind for a long time. So when we hear about lust, we feel, wow, that is a serious sin, and you're absolutely right. Do you know with the area of greed, we're not so repulsed by it? We're going to do anger in a few weeks. Anger is usually very easily recognizable, isn't it? Very easy to recognize an angry person. Even in your own life, when you get angry, you kind of know it fairly quickly, isn't it? Greed is not the worst of sins, but you know what it is? It is actually the most popular sin. In other words, in some form, more people have it than they realize it. So, may I suggest to you this morning to look at your life, forget about other people, your own life. And ask yourselves, has greed become more than a temptation? Let me define greed to you. It is described, and I think it was Thomas Aquinas who said this, is an inordinate or disproportionate desire for things. Very important to know that. Because uh, a desire for things in its right proportion is good and godly. Uh, Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at verse 8. If we have food and clothing, with this, we should be content. In fact, studies have been done on uh, the happiest people in the world and all those kinds of stuff. uh, And they've said, when it comes to food, clothing, and housing, these three things... When you don't have it and you have it, your happiness uh, measurements quadruple. They just bounce from nothing to phenomenal. After that stage, it's not proportionate. In other words, the more you get, you don't get happier. And studies would show that some of the richest people are actually the more miserable ones. So, what am I saying? I'm saying, to a certain extent, an ordinate, proportionate amount of desire for food, clothing, housing, uh, is godly. Pray for it. But when it is disproportionate, it gets dangerous, and it is sin. If you don't know whether you have greed as a sin, can I tell you of two of its cousins? Envy and covetousness. You remember in the Ten Commandments, what is the last commandment? It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And I was thinking this morning, why would you covet your neighbor's wife? Don't you know her husband will bash bash you up? (laughs) Wife or husband. It says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. And here's the part that we sometimes don't dwell on you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, female servant, his ox, donkey, or anything that's your neighbor. In other words, don't even have a desire in your heart. So these are good ones. And uh, in our society today, thanks to... I would say the current government and administration, there is a class warfare that's going on. There are tones that say that if you're rich, you should not be rich. You you need to be able to distribute your wealth. At the heart of it, it's envy. At the heart of it, you're passing judgment on someone richer than you. Do you realize that in Scripture, God is not actually fair? To those of you who think, you know, God should actually be fair to everyone, that's not biblical. Remember the parable of the servants who came at different hours to work? Right? Did they all get paid according to the hours they worked? No. The master gave everyone what he felt like. You could get upset there and say, no, I worked more hours. The moral of the story is, whatever the master feels like, he's going to pay. Live with it. So those of us who might feel, you know, we're not getting paid enough. Someone else is getting paid. Ah, it might be a sin problem. You're envious. You're coveting what someone has that you don't have. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and close for this morning. And my question to you this morning that I want you to think about is are you thoroughly content? Do you desire more? Do you want more? If so, why? Why do you want more? I'll repeat it today and I'll come back to it on next Sunday because that's what I've asked myself and I've been challenged. I would say, you know what? I don't mind a little more, but I am very clear at this stage in my life why I want it. And I might even dare tell you, and I'll pick it up next Sunday. I really don't want it more for the sake of an inheritance for my children. I want to be more generous. So, do you want more? Praise God for you. I'm glad for you. I'm glad you're going to take that promotion or that next job that's going to make you money. But my question to you is going to be, what are you going to do with that extra? If it doesn't turn into generosity towards God, I think there's a problem. Because God does not bless us to hoard. God blesses us so that we have food, clothing, And a house. But the purpose of a blessing is actually to bless others. So why do you want more? What are you doing with your savings? Those are the questions I want you to think this week. Let me quickly go through a greed score and we'll pick it up next. You remember we're going through and asking questions if you want to score yourself. Uh, Are you someone who desires more or do you want things better than what you have? Uh, That might be a sign of greed. Are you someone who loves to accumulate more and more and more? And even if it is money that you like to stash away, and your argument is, I want to leave it for my children, I'm going to challenge that next week. Hey, I want to leave an inheritance for my children. I want to ask you the question, why do you want to do that? But if you're a person who wants to find security in what you're storing away, that is not only greed, but that leads to another problem. What do you trust, God or your wealth? Thirdly, are you someone who finds it hard to be generous? It doesn't really matter how rich or poor you are. Generosity has nothing to do with how much you have. You probably can have a hundred bucks in your saving account or 500,000. I would still ask you the question, do you have a desire and a longing to give? And if you don't have a freedom to give, Especially when you know that there are brothers and sisters in need. Do you know there are brothers and sisters in this fellowship who are needy? And if you say you don't know, my question back to you is, why don't you know? I'm going to challenge you. We live in a society, there might be people in your family who are needy. Have you been generous to them? And if generosity is not the reason why you and I want more, We need to really look at our lives and say, has the American dream driven us to a point of insensitivity that we've turned it into an idol that we worship? Greed. Greed is the reason why when we have one house, we want to move to a bigger one. When we have a working car, we want the better one. Why? when we have decent clothes to wear, we still want to get something new. Now, I'm not saying any of it is wrong, but I want to challenge some of the things that we have come to believe that this is good and normal, and worse still, some of us believe that's our right because I worked hard for it. Oh no, you have no rights. You've surrendered all your rights to Christ. And everything that you own Belongs to him. It's not yours. And the easiest way you would know whether you've really given everything to the Lord is, are you ready to give it all away? Yeah, all of it. And if you cannot be generous, I'm going to suggest to you and I, and I already told you, right? All three sins so far I've been tempted on, and I know the rest are also the same. Wait till we get to gluttony. But I'm going to suggest to you and I that we sometimes fall into these sins. They are very deceptive sins. That's the worst part. See, if you rob a bank or you sleep with someone or you murder someone, you get it quickly. These are sins that creep into our lives. And they have a deceiving way of telling us it's actually okay. So may I suggest to you to consider. And if God convicts you of something, do something about it. Be a doer of God's word, not just a hearer. What does greed do or lead to? And this is where I want you to be careful living in America. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 8 says, Woe to those who join house to house. In other words, you have a house, What do you do? You add another house. Who add field to field until there is no more room and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of land. It's a very good description. You're adding more and more. And you know what the scripture says there? Eventually you have so much that you've isolated yourself from people. I'm going to talk about this later, not this time. Do you know what is one of the leading causes of death in America today? Loneliness. Lonely people die quicker than people who are not. They've just done a study. Fascinating. So why is this happening in America? A land that's blessed. Partly because people have driven themselves crazy after more things. that they don't have time for God. They don't have time... For other people. What does greed lead to? And this is the one that I think I feel most sad about for people. You don't have any time for rest. You don't have any time to enjoy what you have. Uh, Let me remind you again. What is Sunday morning? What is Sunday? It's a day of worship and rest. Some people don't have time to even worship God. We've got cars, we've got all the wonderful things God's blessed us, but we don't have a commitment or a desire to be faithful in the worship of God. But we have time for everything else. Or you don't have time to rest and enjoy a good night's sleep. Or just put up your leg and do nothing. And I ask myself, what's the point then of having all this good stuff? And I say sometimes what's happened to us is we're so busy pursuing things that we don't have time to enjoy what God's given. And if you're at that stage in life, and I don't know your life, all that I'm trying to tell you is ask yourself, have I got caught into the popular sin that's pulling the rug from under me? I feel like I'm in a whirlwind. And if that's what's happened, maybe the sin has caught you as a slave. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says, He who loves money will never be satisfied. Did you hear that? He who loves money and is after that will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is all vanity. What happens if you're after that is you don't, you're never contented. It's always more. And what's that slogan out there? In the world, it's not at all true. He who has the most toys wins. I hope you, you laugh that away. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 5. Listen to this. Because sometimes we pick and choose what we think as sin. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, here's the other part, or who is covetous, Is an idolater. In other words, he's a worshiper of idols, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. Look at the two groups of people. Those who are sexually immoral and those who are just coveting stuff. The Word of God says, you're going to find it almost impossible to be in the kingdom of God. So, what does greed lead to? It makes you sometimes an idol worshiper. I've said this before, uh, as to if you want to know whether you're an idol worshiper or not, you might look at people in the Asian countries or African countries who have all kinds of things that they bow down to you, and you're probably thinking, how dumb of these people that they would worship these crazy idols. Hey, there are a lot of idol worshipers in America too. Do you know that? Our idols don't have any form. Sometimes our jobs become our idol. The pleasures, the television can become an idol. What's an idol? Anything that takes your time, your energy, and your passion. Anything that you are, spend more time than God Anything that gives you more pleasure than God, anything that you spend more of your energy in than God is your idol. And it has a grab on you. So, greed can become an idol. And uh, Matthew chapter 6 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Verse 25 And all these things, it goes on to say, God will give you. I think at the bottom of all this sin, eventually you'll have to tell yourself, who do I trust? And eventually, this pursuit of things is a lack of trust in God. Let me close with our fourth point for this morning and run through it with some examples. So what's God's response For every sin I told you, there is an antidote. There's a way out. God has a cure for it. Praise God for it. Because as I said, with all these sins that we're looking at, we looked at pride, we looked at lust. We're looking at greed. You will be tempted. And different people are going to be tempted on different sins, but you can be absolutely sure it is coming after you. Because all sins come from Satan. He's out to destroy you. I hope you're not in denial. That's my hope for you this morning. That you're not sugarcoating the sin in your life. You're not making excuses, but you're acknowledging it. And if you're at that place of acknowledging, I have good news for you because God has a way out. So what is the first cure? It has nothing to do with money. The first cure for getting your life on a godly track is discover who you are. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. It's amazing how much Jesus in the Word talks about coveting, isn't it? And Jesus says, be careful about all kinds of coveting, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You are not defined by how much you have in your bank account, what house you live. You're not defined by your education. You're not even defined whether you're good-looking or you're not good-looking. You're not defined by that. You're not defined by your education, what car you have, what job you have. Your identity starts and ends with who are you in Jesus Christ? And if you don't know who you are in Jesus Christ, you'll get captivated by all kinds of things. So discover who you are. Be content that you are a child of God. Be content, rejoice, boast in the Lord that you have an inheritance in Christ. Get thrilled about the fact that if you die, you're going to be with the Lord for eternity. If those things don't excite you, you haven't found your identity yet so find out who you are secondly seek after god seek after god jeremiah 29:13 says you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart if you put half the energy that you put into trying to get yourself a better life, half the energy. Um, I grew up in a culture where you bargained for everything. You went into a store and they told you one price. You never paid that price. You suggested half the price. And then you negotiated. And you came to probably the 80th percentile and you got a good deal. Let me bargain with you this morning. I said half. No, don't put it in even half. Put in one-fourth the effort you put into trying to make your life better. I will guarantee you not only will your relationship with the Lord get better, you might also find a blessing. Seek after God. Have the discipline of making God your priority. In other words, what what does that look like? It looks like be faithful in worship, read God's word, practice generosity, love people, live the Christian life, just don't talk about it. Seek after God. When you seek after God, you will discover that God's a God who loves to find you. As I said once before, show me someone's habits. And I can tell you what kind of a person that person is and who he or she loves. Right? Your habits tell you who you are. Have godly Habits. Seek after God. Learn to be content. We already read that verse. If you have food and clothing, it says we will be content. Listen to, if you forget everything else, listen to this one thing. Contentment is not a feeling. Contentment is a decision. You decide to be content your feelings change to adjust to a decision. Contentment is a decision, and at some point, you have to say, I am content, I don't need more. Let me give you a derivative, Derivative, big word. In other words, okay, you decide to be content. So what do you do? Colossians chapter 3 verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Look at that list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and God throws in coveting. In other words, put to death, do something about it, kill it. One of the men in our church, and I'm so proud of him. I was talking to him the other day. Uh, He hadn't had a job for a while, got a job, doing very well, working very hard. So I asked him, how are you doing? He said, good. Praise God for a job. And uh, I said, as you work, I hope this working hard really is a blessing for you. He said, yes, it is. I said, do you think you'll get a promotion in the near future? Uh, And what would that look like? He said, you know what, Joe, it didn't take him any time. He said I right now make about 60 grand a year. He said the next promotion I get will bump me to a regional manager, I will make $110,000. He said but I don't want it. Because I'll have to compromise on my family and my relationship with the Lord. Music to my ears. I said I'm proud of you. Because from 60 to 110 is would make a difference, wouldn't it? But he has learned to be content and he says, My children and my family are more important than this big bump. He has learned to put to death something better, something more. So learn to do that. Secondly, practice generosity. Remember that what's the problem? The problem we have is we want more. How do you deal with that problem? Give. It's a great antidote. It's a great antidote to hoarding, and that is learn to give. Here's a derivative of that: Consume less. We think that every time we have an opportunity to spend more, we somehow feel we have to. No, you don't have to. Uh, you can actually consume less. You can downsize. And so, why do you do that? Remember I said, the purpose is for us to be generous. Remember Genesis chapter 12 verse 2. Genesis 12 is God's promise to Abraham. And God says a couple of things to Abraham. God tells Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Sounds good. He says, I will bless you and make you famous you're probably saying, if God makes those kinds of promises to me, bring it on, God. You're going to bless me. You're going to make me famous. You're going to make me into nation. But it doesn't end there. He says, and you will be a blessing to others. The purpose of God's blessing is so that you can be a blessing to others. And if that's not part of your reason why you're asking God for more, we have a problem. Consume less. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, and I probably missed that verse. No, Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became, he became poor. Jesus became poor for the sake of others, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Think about that. Think about that to say, are you and I willing to lower our standard of living, make some sacrifices, so that someone else might get rich, so that someone else might have more? How radical is that? Think about it. Think about it and say, if only I could save more, spend less so that someone else can do better. And if, you, if this doesn't resonate in your heart, please do consider the sin of greed seriously. Because you've probably reached a point where you've made life all about yourself. Once you get content, generosity, so consume less. Let me close this morning. It is much better to be poor and content, be happy, joyful, and generous. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better is a dry morsel. Better is a little, food, clothing, a small house. Whether it's rented or your own, it really doesn't matter, does it? We're not taking anything with us to heaven, are we? Learn to enjoy what God has given us. And compared to other people in other worlds, I've told you this before, all of us are very rich. Let's pray. And Father, even as we come to the cross, this for remembrance of what Jesus did, remind us that for our sake, he gave up. Not only his splendor in glory, but he also died on the cross, put to death himself, so that we might be forgiven and rich. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would burn in our hearts and that we would act on it, but learn to live in the contentment and joy that you desire for every one of us, not five years from now, but today. And where repentance is needed, Lord, may your Spirit and your Word work within us. Amen.